bar belt. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Barbell Bacon Bros. Barbell Bacon Bros. And me. <laughs> and me. <laughs> well, I'm not a bro, so. That's true. That's true. Me. I was trying to think of like, what do you say? You can't say bra because that's inappropriate. Yeah. No, don't call anybody that. <laughs> Can't oh, say babe, because so... that's inappropriate, too. Right, I right. I don't know. There's just not too many... Barbell bacon people? I mean, it doesn't have the buh thing, but persons? Yeah, no. Mm-mm. It's just not as catchy. No. <laughs> well, I am back with my favorite co-host, Alina Gabino. Yes. Yep, that's me. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And the name of this episode is Cake and Kettlebells, because you like cake. Yeah, absolutely. And you like kettlebells. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I I actually do like them, because they're sweet. (laughs) Um, Definitely love cake. It's one of my top like two items to ever eat. I don't get to eat so, it as often now, but still my favorite. So what would be like your ideal, like perfect cake? Kievsky. A what? It's called Kievsky. Um, it's okay. literally named after Kiev, which is the city of Ukraine. Um, Ukraine being in the news as it is now. Um, it is one of our most famous well-known cakes. It has different layers of all kinds of yummy goodness and it's covered in hazelnut and it's creamy yet there's like a little wafery, um, middle section in it. It's just, it's absolutely delicious. I highly recommend if any of you guys have a European, um, store near you and you have a Kievsky torte or tortas cake, definitely recommend you to give it a try that's the thing huh yeah you you nick you should go (laughs) there's a ton of russian stores by you (laughs) russian ukrainian eastern european okay that's the secret i just need to go to a russian store yeah and you ask for what's your famous kievsky cake and they'll be like it's that one if it's not sold out because it's usually sold out all right all right yeah you're gonna enjoy it. I promise you. Not one person um, has told me that they did not like it. And I bring it to all the events that, like, my family or Chris's family ever asked me to to go to. I will always bring the cake, and people just love it. And I enjoy sharing it with them because I don't get to eat it. So <laughs> someone <Aww>. should. <laughs> it's okay. That's too bad. I, I'm not a baker, so. Maybe one day when I'm, you know, older and have more time, maybe I could bake it for myself. When you're older. Yeah. You like get on that. Know. You get, yeah, you better get on that. You're getting kind of old. In three more years. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> get to that point. Oh my gosh. Well, in three so, more years, my youngest will be five. I may have a chance to bake something by then. Okay, deal. <laughs> In three years, we expect you to bake a cake. 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is one of my bucket lists. I'm not even kidding. I'm not a baker. Just to bake a so, cake? Yeah. Well, that you never baked a cake. Oh, okay. No, I baked a cake, like a baked, like out of the box type of cake. Like that's a big sure. genius. <laughs> but no, this is like you have to. Th there's a talent to it. Yeah, I should probably start off with something easier before I go to like the ultimate I mean, ultimate cake. Or there's the like go big or go home philosophy. So that's true. I am one of you those. Do you do you girl you do you i will have to do that <laughs> watch it turn out super perfect and be like there's my hidden talent i just never knew about it you actually I are wish, a baker you just didn't know i wish do you know how many things i could bake for myself instead of like pass up treats and sweets because they're none of them are gluten-free and the gluten-free ones are so gross <laughs> like you just you just kind of start trying I know. I should. I in three should. Years. No, I don't three have time. Years. In three years. Three yeah. years, yeah. That would be my goal. Three year three year goal. <laughs> this is what South Carolina is doing to me. I'm a homemaker. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm gonna start baking gluten-free goodies. <laughs> Long-term strategic planning here. We're gonna make yes. cake. Yes. And then after you eat my cake, we're gonna go work out in my gym. <laughs> I mean, hey, if it turns out good, you could have like one of those like, this is made in a home, you know, baked kitchen thing, like the all farmers oh, yeah. market stuff. Oh, yeah. Don't press the buttons, yeah. you're going to kick us out. I'm trying not to. <laughs> My headphones are special. They're just special. They're not high, high tech. Anything is is not friends with me. Um, it, it, we just don't get along. I'm gonna leave it at that. Please. We don't get along. Somehow go I know how to mess it up. Really well. <laughs> I know, Trying right? to do a podcast on Zoom from all the way across the country, even more so than normal. I know. I know. We're like at a six-hour time difference today, so that's right. That's gonna that's be right. fun. Yeah. yeah, you're like. I mean, it's be fine ready for, for me. Dinner. It's fine for I me. I know that's it's true. Not even five o'clock yet. <laughs> there you go. I'm fine. You, you're coming late. up on 11. Ah, yeah, it's okay. I'll make it. I'll make it work. Sweet. Sweet. All right. So uh, we have had the opportunity to hear some of Jay Cruz's story mm -hmm. about transverse myelitis and, you know, getting to the CrossFit Games as an adaptive athlete. Um, and so we just kind of wanted to get your side of the story because his side sounded pretty intense and I'm sure it was pretty crazy for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, Where did you want me to start off? <laughs> right. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty intense still. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Because, you know, he's still dealing with it. Well, you all are still dealing with it and the constant changing and adjusting and so that very first day, when you get the phone call from him, what was that like? Um, I clearly remember I was with a friend and I had a like a two and a half month, three month old baby. And so I was on maternity leave and I almost did not pick up because I was like, it's raining outside. Cool. Like I'm trying to get to my car. I have an infant. Like there's just a whole ordeal of trying to get kids in and out of the cars. <laughs> and 
I remember I almost didn't pick up and I was just like, I should just pick up. And so I picked up and he's just like, um, he sounded very scared and panicked. And I instantly was like, what's wrong? And he tells me he can't breathe and that he's like dropped to his knees. And I said, you need to call 911. I can't help you. I'm not even close by or anything. Call 911 and I'll meet you at the hospital. And so um, I get to his office. They already transferred him to to the hospital. I get to the hospital just in time that they they brought him up. He totally looked fine and normal. Um, His anxiety was down again. And he honestly never even like made it to bed because they put him in a, from the gurney to a wheelchair and said that they were going to just run a couple of tests and give him some painkillers. Well, mm-hmm. they thought the painkillers were helping him and were about to discharge him because they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm like, no, there's something wrong. Like what, you know, maybe it's a panic attack, whatever. And um, his foot was like, hanging off the wheelchair and I was like hey put your foot back on you're gonna trip somebody because we're in the hallway and it's flu season and the place is packed I mean there is nowhere to sit nowhere to stand um and I have like an infant and it's flu season I'm nervous for my own health and her health and his health and it's just a hot mess and he's like I can't I can't put my foot back on and I'm like what do you mean so I help him and when the doctor came with like, okay, we're going to discharge you. I'm like, no, we're not going anywhere. Something's wrong with him. He can't feel his feet. That's not normal. I need you guys to run all the tests. And I jokingly was like, no, run them all. Because I was <laughs> pregnant just so back to back and just kept getting like a lot of blood work done and all this, this and that. And he's like, oh, I've never even had my blood drawn or anything. And I'm like, no, you guys what? need to like take every time. Like he, he's never had like a medical ex- like experience at all. And so I'm like, no, he's never had an IV or anything. And I just jokingly was like, you need to just make sure you poke him and make sure that you take all the tests that you need to um because apparently he's gotten away for so many years never having anything wrong and um they kept coming all back clean clear and when the doctor was um asking him about his legs we didn't realize that like paralysis was setting in so one of his legs I want to say his left side started becoming paralyzed more than his right side or it's like quite quicker in its paralysis state that it was like traveling up his body than his right side. So, um, they ended up admitting him and running more tests. And I went home and I thought I was going to see him the next morning. And just because this happened like mid day on a Friday. And, um, like I said, I've had medical procedures done. So to me, like going to the hospital or like with my family, it's never like a stressful event. I mean, it's scary no matter what, but it just kind of was like, okay, I'll just pick you up in the morning or I'll pick you up tonight. Whenever they discharge you, like it can't be serious. Like he's a healthy 30 year old man. He's never had any problems. Like, um, and trying to calm myself down. I didn't tell anybody that he was in the hospital until like we knew anything further. 
And then the next morning, like I get a phone call that he's like, yeah, they did a spinal tap on me and I didn't even feel it. And now I can't feel my legs at all. And so of course I rush over there. Like I had to, I couldn't stay with him in the hospital. I had three kids at home. So I had to take care of them and keep my cool all night. And kind of that morning, I felt like our entire lives changed from that, that moment, like getting there and then still not knowing what's going on. And then just assuming that it was like GBS, which is Gambare syndrome and, um, saying like, Oh, it's okay. You'll be, you'll be up and walking within a week. Like you you'll be fine. And I'm like, how, what? Like, I've never heard of this. You act like it's very common. Like what? So, um, yeah, that was like the way we walked into the situation. And I, I didn't know what to think because I didn't, I'm, it's not my expertise. Like I didn't, I didn't want to think the worst. So even though I was preparing myself for the worst, I still tried to stay very positive to make sure that like, I wasn't freaking him out either or my kids. <laughs> and then so you go through that at the hospital and then finally he gets transferred to the Bay area. Right? Yeah. Vallejo. So yeah, in the hospital itself, it was interesting because he was misdiagnosed, but he received treatment for his misdiagnosis. So he had GBS, or first time they diagnosed him with GBS, and um, they gave him treatment, which made him super sick. Like he had been pretty much, to me, it seemed like he was in and out of consciousness for like 72 hours straight. Wow. And he had a massive, massive migraine. Um, like everything was super sensitive and he would have this treatment done for like eight hours a day Whoa. and a, a nurse, like supervisor, not just a regular nurse, but just like a supervisor would be there monitoring it for like the entire time until someone else switches out with her. And so there was someone there the entire time. He was miserable. A lot of it, he does not like remember. I feel like his, his brain just kind of shut itself off and like suppressed a lot of that, that discomfort. Um, he couldn't like sit up to like take a drink of water or anything. So I arranged for someone to stay the night with him every night. So that way they could hand him water, um, call for a nurse or just like care after him because he couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything. Um, but just for his own safety, just for him not to feel alone. Cause I couldn't be there because all, all of our kids were with us. Um, so they finally, uh, diagnosed him properly and I'm so grateful that the neurologist just wasn't content with what results were coming up and they kept pushing for more like CT scans and, um, MRIs. And so they ruled out a lot of things like the worst one they, they pretty much prepared us for was a spinal stroke. And the neurologist clearly said, this is something he would not be able to recover from. This is pretty much his whole life would look like this. Um, he would have to be wheelchair bound. So he's like, that's the worst, but the best is this transverse myelitis. And hopefully it is that. And once we could diagnose him and get a clear like um, 
screen like shot of it we could transfer him over and get him into rehab apparently the key there is the younger you are and the earlier it's diagnosed the higher chance of recovery and mobility you could gain because your muscles aren't um i guess atrophying and and not being used properly so he got his diagnosis he got transferred down to vallejo right yes for, just for a two yeah, it's about an hour and a half drive for us that we did daily for two weeks. Right. So you still yeah. weren't staying with him because you had no. all your kids at home. <laughs> yeah, it was um, my routine during all of this, honestly, was in the morning, I would get everybody ready. And um, one kid went to school, one kid went to daycare, and one kid came with me. And then I would drop off everybody where they needed to be. Um, get some breakfast for crews, head over to the hospital, be there as early as I can be if everybody's cooperating, and then be with him all day until pickup. So uh, while he like napped, I would like me and the baby would walk across the street and eat and then come back. Um, visitors wasn't a great idea, especially when he was um, getting treatment done. He just wasn't available to to communicate with people and it was just awkward um but then i would come home i would get the kids you know ready for their evening routine get them all bathed fed in bed and of course they all know something's going on no matter how much you're telling them or preparing for it they still want to see dad and so it's just like but we can't go because it's unsafe and this and that. And so just like the emotional meltdowns and my own meltdowns that I wanted to have, but I couldn't. So, um, so I would get them down for bed. I would have a friend or my mom stay the night with me. And then I would rush off like from 10 to like one and be with him in the evening. Cause I was like our only time that we, pretty much got to connect and I didn't have the baby with me. It was just me and him um, kind of talking about like, Hey, what's reality going to look like? What do we plan for? Like we pray, we, we worship together. We uh, read scripture together, really lifted each other up. And then I would go home in the middle of the night and do it all over again for like 22 days. And so what was your thought? Cause he kind of told us like he was planning on walking out of that rehab yeah. facility, like in a week, like I'm doing this, I'm going to get it. I'm getting out. What was your thought when that he like shared that like plan with you? Um, honestly, I was scared that if it didn't happen, he would be crushed. So as a wife, you're like, in my position, it's like, I, I'm there to support you, but I'm also need to be realistic and not, um, encourage you to set you up for failure. So like, I know his abilities, but I also know that maybe God has other plans. And like, I, my approach was, it was to get one at a time, one day at a time, and the reality was like, I just prepared myself, like I would have a husband in a wheelchair because 
that's just how my brain and my heart work is that I prepare for the worst and then anything like less than that, I'm like, I can handle that. Like, that's totally fine. Um, so my thought process was, okay, I'm going to have to care for my husband and I already have three children and now I have him. And how can I do that in a positive way with faith and encourage him to keep pushing forward, but not discourage him thinking like, oh no, you you need some realistic plans. Like the medical professionals are saying, let's teach you how to, you know, shower in a wheelchair, not like, Hey, let's teach you how to play basketball. Like that was his goal. Like I want to be able to shoot hoops. And I'm like, yes, 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 we will. <laughs> like, I don't know how that's going to look like, but we'll get you there. Um, so he, he was able to walk out after a week and right no two weeks two weeks okay yeah so he wanted his goal was to walk um and then he wanted to be out in a week and I told him okay we reached this goal of you being able to stand like assisted with a walker which was very impressive um on its own and his medical team was like wow that's a lot better than what we expected but then he wanted to just stop at that point and I'm not even like stop he just wanted to get home like somehow he's like failing us or because he's absent he he needs to rush back to us and I said absolutely not like if you have this opportunity to focus on you what's another week or another two weeks um because if they're the experts and they could get you further and every single day your, your, your progress is like so much um, more than they expected. I can't keep up with that. Like, so it was just my, where it's like the logical part of me is like, no, you're not feeling us as a husband and you're not feeling us as a father. You just need to make sure we're focused on you. Like you're the primary um, focus here and there's nothing wrong with that. Like you need to take on every opportunity that they give you medically and professionally because I can't do it. And I know within the medical field, like once you're outside of the hospital, it's a lot harder to get them to focus on you than it is when you're there. Plus I can knock on doors there. <laughs> I can't do that when I'm home. <laughs> Me. Good, but it'd be kind of creepy. Not a creepy. You went to like a doctor's the doors. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried to walk in and be like, hey, I want to talk to my medical professional? No, they keep them back there like, like it's some kind of prison ward. <laughs> or if you like creepy, like knocked on some doctor's house in the middle of the night. Yeah, no, it wasn't yeah. going to go that far. But I knew that like they had outstanding periods of time that they were available and so I would come yeah. with all my questions and like just when I would come home and we're you know doing the regular routine of like feeding kids and and baths and stuff like I would be thinking of like how would crews do this like how is this functional like what would we have to move what do we have to adjust like how do I monitor the kids like how would I plan out my day like is it wise to do bath times in the evening? Maybe we should do them in the morning. Maybe we should do this. Maybe should, we should ask for my mom to come and stay with us like during this period of time. 
so yeah, our life was interesting. And it, and it didn't weeks. like just magically change when he got home, right? There was a big, no. big adjustment there. There was still stuff going on. Like, what was that like when he first came home? So when he first came home is very um, anxiety provoking for me because I, I felt like I had to take care of four people and primarily keep him safe from the other two people because <laughs> the baby didn't do anything. But JJ could do some damage and Josh likes to rough house because, you know, he's like a eight, 10 year old kid who wants to, you know, wrestle with his dad and stuff. So just having those conversations like, hey, uh, daddy can't do this. Daddy can't do that. We got to, you know, not pull on his cane and don't like run into him. You can't throw stuff at him, you know, like when they're playing ball and like, he can't like dive for something or whatnot and he's definitely the fun parent so for them to have the shift i mean like there's a video of him that always pops up like two days before his anniversary of his diagnosis um of him literally like chasing jj around the house and like um playing air guitar and throwing him up and then just this happens and so to see like a 48 hour difference between what was and what is, and then preparing my kids who literally did not see him for most of the time that he was gone because, you know, it was, he was focused on treatment and I didn't want them to see him in a state of like, like pain and discomfort and making him more sad and them more scared. And it's just, it was hard to be the middleman of, of it all and then not being able to process it because it's years later and I'm just like, it feels like it was someone else's life. Yeah. And so how long was it until things were sort of like quote unquote normal again? I don't know if it... I don't know when it became normal, semi-normal. I guess maybe our, to tell you the truth, it only stays normal for a period of time. And then we deal with another like symptom or another discomfort or another challenge or he gets an injury. I don't think it's ever been normal, even quote unquote normal. Like there is either a physical element that we're struggling with. And I say we struggle with because seeing your, like seeing my husband go through something, it obviously impacts me. And I can't just sit around and be like, well, it's kind of your own problem figure it out. Like that's just not what marriage is. So it's hard to see, um, him like even if it's like a a mental like challenge that he's going through um it still affects all of us it's never normal because like he'll check out or like his demeanor changes or like if he's injured like he has to make all these shifts and like more therapeutics and like more appointments so he's away from us more and then like if 
if he's competing, then it's like we arrange our whole life around his training schedule um, or his travel or whatever, or like our finances are constantly um, prioritizing just basically our four walls and then his medical health. So it's, I don't, I don't think it's ever normal. <laughs> I, I guess I'm just not, there's no norm, normal. Yeah. The normal is just going with the next uh, wave. Speaking of uh, his competing, he, within, you know, two, three years of, you know, having this situation where he's paralyzed and can't even walk, he qualifies for the CrossFit Games in the neuromuscular division. Totally a thing. <laughs> and you all go to Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. For him to Crazy. compete in the CrossFit Games. Yeah. What was that whole experience like? Oh my gosh. That was very surreal. And to me, I I'm one who's like, well, if if there's a door that opens or an opportunity that presents itself, if I know how rare that is. Um, and I was telling him, like, it's worth a try. Like, what, why not? At least a once in a lifetime to say, like, hey, God's led me into this avenue. And I'm like, if something happens from it, great. If nothing happens from it, great. Like, <laughs> what's the worst? Would you just go back to our regular lives and just, you know? Yeah. Um, I was, I, I was excited about it because I feel like he finally got a win at something that like all the struggle and this forced training that he has to go through just to like, feel good daily. I'm like, it's finally paying off. Like people are going to be aware of how much harder he works than everybody else. I know this. And I never want to feel like it's a norm for us because it isn't. It's, it's not normal to have that much discomfort and then constantly be, being the positive person that he is and just how faithful and devout he is to his faith. And, and top it all off, he's an amazing dad and a husband. So like when he went to the games, I'm like, wow, people finally get to see you for you. Um, and we knew like nothing would really come of it. We just knew that like, if this is going to be the platform that God has us share his story, that's great. If it's not the time and it's not the way, that's great too. So we had that mindset of like, it, it is what it is. And we're very, we were very grateful for the opportunity. We also know that there's so little that is known about this disease and people with similar, you know, symptoms and aftermath and lifestyle, like they were not prepared or equipped for, for them. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was really cool because gets to say like hey I went to the CrossFit games and I've only been doing CrossFit for like six months <laughs> that was the most oh, awkward I couldn't part. Walk two years ago 
Cause, cause I literally, I'm like, oh, really? You made it to the CrossFit Games? I'm like, oh, go ahead and tell them like what division you're in. Like, I would just do that little side chat. Like, <laughs> like, oh, did you know that he, he, he also is an athlete here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. He's in the neuromuscular. What's that? Oh, let me tell you. So I would be like his spokeswoman and I would tell everyone and anyone who would listen to me like from the vendors to the, <laughs> to the audience, to everybody who sat around me. And I'm just like, let me tell you about their division because no one knew, no one was paying attention um, because it, it's an invisible disease. People don't, they're not impressed. But when, when there's someone with a missing limb, they're like, I could visually see that it registers that, that sh that's probably difficult. But when there's an invisible neurological disease that you literally have no control over, they're like, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> well, I think so, it's, it's tough, right? Because he looked fit, right? Yeah. So like when you, when you look at him, you wouldn't be like, oh, he has a problem. Like he has this thing mm -hmm. because he just looks like, you know, everybody else. And he actually looks really pretty, you know, he looks pretty fit. So when you look at him, you don't yeah. see anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And in a way, I feel like it kind of serves um, it's like a double-edged sword because people's eyes tend to deceive what their ears hear. Yeah. And that's where I come in and I'm like, hey, I'm not the frustrated one. I'm not the one who is in pain or dealing with this. Let me tell you what is really going on let me educate you let me share his story like i am always willing to be the one who's like i'm gonna go to people and i'm gonna make them listen why it's so much harder for you than other people and it's not like a bragging sense or like a prideful thing or anything like that it's more of like i want people to realize that they're there's a population out there that secretly are suffering and quietly are suffering. And if they can't speak up, why shouldn't I? And so I think that's, that's my role as his wife to, to share with other people. Like even here, he doesn't tell anybody anything. And I'm like, Oh, like, cause they'll like notice, like I'm wearing like a CrossFit shirt or something. And they're like, Oh, you do CrossFit. I was like, yeah. And like, you know, we went to the games last year and they're like, oh, really? To watch? And I was like, no, he was in the games. <laughs> and he's just like, oh my gosh. Awesome. <laughs> and I just slip it in, not like in a boastful way, but I'm just like, here's your segue to talk about your testimony. Like, there you go. <laughs> and the fact that you're doing everything that you're doing daily, like working and, and providing for us and being an amazing dad and amazing husband and very present in our lives. Yeah, I, I definitely want to speak up and share that part. So that's and my you role. mentioned, yeah, and you mentioned too <laughs> that it's like there is no like normal, right? Mm -hmm. Like the games wasn't this big. Oh, everything's fine now. We're all good, and you know oh, no. we're going to the games every year, and we're doing all these things. And I mean, like you guys even moved like all the way across the country in part to help him out, right? Yeah. So we moved from California to South Carolina uh, this last month, primarily because a God called us to be out here. And I think 
the CrossFit actually had a lot to do with opening doors to check out a lot of places. And that's where I'm like, okay, kind of connecting the dots, like nothing was ever a waste, nothing was done, you know, um, without any mindfulness, we came to every place with an open heart and an open mind. And um, definitely felt like God has led us here. And what I was researching is that humidity would actually be beneficial for his like muscular um like fatigue and strain that he has on his on his legs so it was me who was just like hey um how did north carolina you know treat your body like did you feel okay he goes yeah you know what i didn't even use my therapeutics as often and felt fine i wasn't as uncomfortable and this was not even like in humid humid conditions it was like november it was cold out there and it got me thinking i'm like okay we should probably keep this in mind and then most likely move out there because i've wanted to leave california for a while definitely felt like god has called us to be elsewhere and so (laughs) no i wasn't looking for my opportunity to escape but (laughs) i was looking with but you were looking for your opportunity to escape I was looking at opportunities that were presenting themselves that would benefit the entire family. So it ended up happening where I'm, I, I had a couple of close friends who are out here and they're like, you should come and check it out. This not really felt peace coming out here, moved out here. Um, he's definitely not using therapeutics as often as he used to. But like I said, there was never a norm. Like you just hear now it's like, okay, his he's sweating more often. Like, what are we dealing with that? Like, how do we focus on regulating his body temperature? And what does that actually mean? Is that like a hormonal thing? Is it not? Like, um, what time of day should he be working out that's benefiting his body? Because he obviously has a sitting, standing job for work. Should he work out in the morning? Should he work out in the day? Should he work out in the evening? Like what kind of activities should and shouldn't we do? Um, so it's still, there's no norm. There's never a norm. We're just going with whatever is thrown at us. That is our norm. Adjusting. We're masters of adjustment. And it, it sounds like you have provided a ton of support and strength to obviously J. Cruz, but to your kids as well, as you know, you've all gone through this. So where does, or where has like your support and your strength come from as you deal with this too? Um, all my strength and just willingness to to push forward and just embrace every single day as a gift um definitely a god thing i've been through some interesting life experiences um and somehow my faith in god has never led me into the wrong direction um i It's, I mean, you practice to be a servant, right? Like as a believer, 
you're called to serve others. And my kids and my, my spouse are my first ministry. And from then I'm raising disciples to go out into the world and to treat other people with kindness and serve them and love on them. And that starts off at home and serving my kids and loving on my kids and loving on my husband and, and doing everything and every, anything possible. Uh, but my primary example comes from like an actual tangible format is my mom and dad. Um, and okay, I would say from even past that, my grandparents, my mom's parents, they have left a legacy of a lot of service, generosity, and faith. My grandfather was a minister and my grandmother would literally, I mean, they took in orphans as, as kids. Um, wow. One of my aunts is, is a Holocaust survivor, her and her sister escaped and lived with my grandmother and her family. So they adopted those two children in. And so we've, we've grown up with a family who are Holocaust survivors and we know what evil tangibly looks like. Um, and so it starts off with my grandparents, it trickled down to my parents and they have given us that example. And now we do it with our families. And it all started from a faithful grandmother and a faithful grandfather. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's definitely a legacy thing. I mean, I was at my grandmother's funeral in 2018 and clearly seeing all, so my grandparents, they did not have an easy life. They lived in the Soviet Union and they had 10 children, total of 12, but two passed away when they're she was pregnant and they all 10 of the siblings I mean 10 children to raise in a socialist <laughs> country with nothing and they all always rallied around their parents like they they made it an effort to constantly help each other uh being each other's lives and my grandparents were that revolving or like center of that revolving unit and so watching my aunts and uncles and then seeing how that trickled down to us kids I'm like that that's that's the most beautiful thing you could do in your life is leave that kind of legacy and to serve somebody and then being remembered for that uh because it it definitely multiplies generations past <laughs> so yes that is my strength and that is where I tangibly see it and it's easy for me to do it with my family because that's just what I've been raised with some serious crazy story there <laughs> and the, and oh, the yeah. journey the journey continues it does so we've been we've been definitely continuing here <laughs> so cake and kettlebells is the name yes. of the episode and the workout that goes along with this is hopefully kind of a fast little burner here uh 21 15 9 of kettlebell swings jerks and air squats yeah with the kettlebell swings the standard 35 for ladies 53 for men the jerks at 65 95 so kind of on the lighter end yeah it is a good way yeah you can move that real quick yeah and then air squats of course which are super fast 
Um, for Cruz some of literally us. For some of us. had me. <laughs> I know. Um, Cruz just had us do um, jerks the other day, but six of tens. And I was like, oh my gosh, why do you do this to me? <laughs> I think I like this workout way better <laughs> instead of his. You gotta, 10 you gotta by build 10 that muscular stamina. Oh man, but I do, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's it's my favorite. It's just getting me ready for, you know, the handstand push-ups. That's right. And then and handstand walk. the walks. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, my goal is still to do that. 540. Sweet. <laughs> 540. Well, you better get on it, girl. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, snap. I just kind of outed you right here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i'll make it i'll make it challenge accepted Deal. for my 40th birthday i'm just gonna handstand walk myself to the, into the restaurant <laughs> there you go i think that sounds like a great idea yeah with my cake my gluten-free cake <laughs> that's right that you baked yourself exactly you keep, you, there you, you go what, what, what was the cake called again kievska kievski Ke- mm-hmm. it's kiev literally if you yeah. say the ukrainian cake that's Kiev. They'll probably know what it is. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Alina, thank you for um, sharing your side of the story. Thank you for having me. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And hit up that workout and uh, yes. let us know on Instagram how it went. Yep. Please do. And we will talk to y'all next time. Bye.